106 in the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. I am Eddie Aragon, the Rocker Talk on EM 1600 KIVA and 93.7 FM. Back by uh, popular demand, Chief Geyer, day two, both by him and you. You want to come and tell more of the story of uh, the city of Albuquerque uh, Police Department as uh, Chief Geyer was uh, relieved of his duties September 30th, although it was uh, previously stated that uh, he resigned. He was not looking forward to uh, resigning or leaving uh, the leadership for the Albuquerque Police Department. So here's day two, Tuesday afternoon, and uh, good afternoon, everyone, and good afternoon. Chief Geyer, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Eddie. Get a little bit of feedback yesterday, so that was good, and uh, people are hearing the story. And it's good because we're getting some transparency now that uh, you're no longer guided by all of the talking and talking points of the uh, mayoral administration. So I kind of wanted to talk about uh, your achievements and the things that you did while you were uh, leading the Albuquerque Police Department. And uh, other people might say, well, you were relieved of your duties. Well, what did he do wrong? Uh, you, well, here, there's not a whole lot that was wrong. I think we can actively say uh, right now that uh, this turnstile justice system, the bail reform, the the, the Arnold uh, tool that has uh, been implemented. Like these are all the things that really kind of led to it. Plus the decriminalization of, of various uh, crimes. But you're still out there arresting people, making things happen, and uh, you know you are really uh, ratcheting things up uh, pretty good. So let's talk about the Albuquerque Police Department, and uh, let's just talk right from the start, start from the top with leadership training and the things that you were doing to improve. You know the top down and uh, beginning with the people who are leading it. Well. That's a good point, Eddie, is because when we started there, it was in kind of a standstill. Um, things hadn't moved, obviously, when they knew there was a new mayor coming. Uh, it was the lame ducks that were up there weren't taking anything on. Uh, nobody was moving forward. Uh, crime was still high. Community policing was low. Um, staffing was low. We were at one of the all-time lowest for a while. Um, and again, the uh, the ever present um, issues with the casa um, were were right there. We inherited that from the start. So one of the things I did is right from the start, I um, set up a eight hour leadership class based on some of the experience I've had and training I've had to teach and t- develop a, a philosophy for the department to try to start um, the institution of our, our new culture. I mean, we wanted to talk. It was really the leadership in the 21st century, which is different than it's been in the past. Um, you know, it's not a matter of that dictator type, you know, give orders. It's, you know, there's a lot more involvement uh, from the bottom up as well as a kind of a serpent approach is where as a leader, my job isn't to have you take care of me. It's me to take care of you. Right. That sounds great. And we talked about some of the, the bigger issues related to CASA and to the culture, such as constitutional policing. Um, that was a big topic, procedural justice. Um, there There had been... Obama had put out a, a 21st Century Policing Council, or, you know, committee, and uh, a lot of those recommendations in there we tried to at least look forward to in implementing in our department. And it included, you know, procedural justice, police legitimacy, uh, community policing, all the different things, even preventing liability, which is a big factor for supervisors uh, in this day and age. And so, you know, we brought that. That was one of the first training classes. Uh, I went to a, a, a seminar with New Orleans police, with Deputy Chief Garcia, and we were taught this concept of EPIC. That would be Eric Garcia. Eric Garcia, yes. And EPIC, I mean, New Orleans has had their share of issues. They were probably in year 10 or more of their consent decree, but they developed a program called um, EPIC, which is Ethical Policing is Courageous. 
and their uh, their complaints against officers went down. Basically, it's a peer intervention. Um, if I'm with a partner and an offender spits in the partner's face or is you know really coming on strong, uh, you know pressing his buttons, it's it's my job then to intervene and pull him off, take put him back, sit back a few steps, and I take over, and then nobody gets in trouble and we calm down the situation. If you remember uh, Rodney King, there were a lot of people standing by. Um, and even in the George Floyd incident, the same thing is if anybody on the outside just, you know, doesn't intervene in those situations and they're just a you know, passive bystander, that's when police departments get in trouble. So so those two were the kind of the first two concepts um, of trying to change the culture of the department. Um, Auto theft was real big. Uh, in fact, we were leading the country. Things couldn't have got worse. Uh, there was no... Uh, working between the feds and the Albuquerque Police Department. Uh, there were some things that were inserted that would prevent those things from happening, but a lot of these cars were making their way down uh, I-25 southbound and uh, going into uh, Mexico. And uh, New Mexico, or excuse me, more particularly Albuquerque, led the country with uh, auto theft. This was a, a tall task, particularly since you weren't working and tracking uh, uh, many of these thieves out there. Right, so I mean, right from the start, yeah, number one in the country is not a good uh, top position you want to be in. And you inherited that, uh, right? And, and you know that that's the thing too is the auto theft. It's the nexus to other crimes, is because uh, if somebody from New York comes out here, they're surprised that the weather's not pedestrians walking downtown as many as they are in, in the big cities and where people have the public transit transportation. And so vehicles here, I mean, criminals don't own many cars. They steal them to get from one crime to the other by their drugs. And so that's why it was so high. The auto theft unit at that time was knocked down to, about, I want to say, four or five detectives. And it was very passive, probably a desk jockey type investigation. And so what had we had had in the past task force with other agencies like state police and Bernalillo County that investigated chop shops, tips, um, were more actively involved in pursuing um, leads on stolen auto- autos, like you said, where they went, chop shops that, you know, where those those people were breaking down parts, um, changing VINs and whatnot. And so we increased the size within internally, and, and the, the unit itself said this is the first time we've been told to actually be proactive. We partnered with uh, state police. They're still with us in that unit, um, as well as Bernalillo County. They were there. BCSO was with us for a while, and we hammered it. Um, we also developed a tool, well, we didn't develop it, someone else did, but we purchased a tool called Star Chase, which was uh, these people, when they get, when you try to stop them, they all run. And so in, in, in addition to increasing the, the eye in the sky from the helicopters, because they could, you know, follow these people almost everywhere, uh, the Star Chase is just a tracking device. It shoots from the front of the car, uh, kind of a sticky substance who has a, a GPS tracker in it. And so it's safe. The officers don't pursue. They don't get in car wrecks, innocent citizens don't get hurt. The offenders, once they realize that nobody's following them, they'll slow down, they'll pull into a gas station, and then that's when we, we get them and when it's safe to do so. And all you have to do is look on your car computer or somebody from a, a, a desk computer can track it and give them the location as they're moving. One of the things that we heard a lot, uh, not just your technology, but you guys didn't really have an auto theft uh, unit that was uh, well-manned and taking care of things. You doubled up on that unit? Yes, Yes, right now there there are about ten people in there with a sergeant. Wow. Okay. Uh, we were hearing from uh, Detective Sean Willoughby about the size of it. There just wasn't very many people. So that's something that I have not yet heard uh, that you had doubled up on the size of the auto theft unit, and that certainly has probably had an impact. Right. And that, and then we went back to some technology that was very successful years ago was with the bait cars. 
Um, so we re, you know, reignited that unit, um, brought some extra more cars in, more vehicles, and not just for the, the stolen autos as well, but for you know auto burglaries and things like that. I mean, a thief will, will break into a car, and if they, the opportunist, there's keys in there, whatever, they'll drive off. But we brought that back, and you know, we're still capturing people that um, have that you know surprise look when uh, all of a sudden the car shuts down and there's three or four police cars behind them. Uh, and that's part of the bait unit, too, as well, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, let's talk, uh, you mentioned helicopter. Uh, did we get a new helicopter? I do track uh, the helicopter. I noticed that the APD, both plane uh, that's taking off from Double Eagle Airport, as well as the helicopter also taking off from uh, Double Eagle Airport and refueling over here at the, uh, the city of Albuquerque, or the, excuse me, Sun, Sunport, where it refuels. Uh, I, I think that's a newer model, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Our, our old model was, actually, that model wasn't really designed for police work, especially in this altitude and with the heat. And so it had limited flying hours. And it was aging. It had been around for a long time. Um, we double up, and we do work very closely with BCSO as far as flight time because they have two helicopters as well. Yeah, I saw theirs. Yeah, and so not, so we went and we researched purchasing a new one. We do have, you mentioned the fixed air. Um, that's very good for some purposes, but it's, it's limited for, for uh, ground search and things like that, but it could travel all the way following somebody from here to the border if they needed to um, without fueling up as much as the helicopter would have to. So, so we kept the old one, so now we have two. Yeah, we have a brand new one. It's designed specifically for law enforcement purposes. It's got some amazing equipment in there. Uh, the mapping, as you can see, exactly the street names on a, a overlay. Um, it tracks you know, both uh, body heat and it's got infrared, so I mean, it can pick up people. Uh, they'll show up as like white ghosts hiding behind a, a dumpster or whatever in darkness. Um, it, it has all kinds of logistics that, that the other one didn't have and can stay up a lot longer too. So we pretty much have that the air, airship up there pretty much uh, probably I'd say at least more than doubled what we had before. So to be explicit, and uh, these are all things that happen under your directorship uh, from the beginning of uh, d- December 1st, 2017, uh, right until September 30th, 2020. That's correct. So let's talk, uh, uh, you mentioned shot, uh, shot Spotter. I want to say that that was the technology and the ones that the uh, five uh, leadership of police officers, J.J. Griego, Eric Garcia, a few others uh, who were on that uh, uh, were suggesting uh, that they, is something that they implemented. You began that on July 17th, but you also mentioned something else that I didn't quite understand. I think it was a, an acronym uh, for something. NIBIN or NIBIN? Oh, NIBINS, yes. NIBINS, okay. Yeah, it's a national integrated ballistic inter, interrated system or something like that, a network. And what it is, is it's, uh, it's like fingerprints for, for uh, the casings of automatic weapons. So what it does is it's, it, we pick those casings up. In years past, those would end up in the gutter and nobody would pay attention. But those are as valuable to identify a particular weapon, and like I said, as a fingerprint is to a crime scene. And it's part of a national effort. So any date, anything, when we, bring, when we pick up casings at the scene of a shooting, uh, they're collected. They're brought to the crime lab. Uh, there, there's a process they do that I puts them in a machine. They identify their their track, so to speak, uh, like a fingerprint would be. It's in a database, and that's a national database. So we've had guns, um, you know, found here that are used elsewhere in other cities, um, or they get the same thing. It's it's part of the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And so that was actually that grant, that crime gun, gun crime grant, uh, integrate, you know. Uh, system that we were going to, or center here that we were going to do. You mean one of those grants that we were signed up for, but the city of Albuquerque with Sarita Nair and Tim Keller never even bothered it. So basically, this is just hanging out there. We're spending the extra money. We have access to it. 
But we have uh, yet to sign up for the money? Well, when I left, that was still one of the open grants, and that was probably early 2018, and it's just it's still being litigated, I, I, I believe, in terms of those same sanctuary city types. So is it better to do a gun grab and uh, have people turn their guns in or, or actually you know, get that grant and uh, get behind NIBIN? Well, NIBIN is an effective system. I mean, right. obviously, um, yes, there's other ways to, you know, increase our ability to, you know, reduce gun violence. But that that is one of the major because uh-huh. what it does is is we, we've had situations where we found a gun uh, that was recovered on one person. And by tracking the NIBIN leads from the different casings, it was led to 20 other uh, incidents, drive-bys. Um, you know, other types of shootings. And, what could be better than that? And, and it's even been led to the arrest and a homicide. So, I mean, yeah. it has that kind of, uh, you know, logistics that can be very, very effective. If that database is the more, that's why we try to encourage our officers after the shot spotter hits, go there and pick up those casings. We even got metal detectors. I think we're, we're still, we're, we've been offered um, one of the, like, do- bomb dogs that actually can pick up the explosives so they can smell and, and find those casings, like, in an open field and us, if needed, to try to get those in our system. So Let's talk for a minute. Uh, I want to go off on a tangent, if you don't mind, just because it's fresh on everybody's mind. Um, you know, the city of Albuquerque uh, took credit, uh, particularly Tim Keller, for the arrest uh, and the murders of the Telemontes uh, group, uh, which murdered uh, uh, Mrs. V. Hill. And uh, you, of course, were invited up to Washington, D.C., weren't allowed to go, um, but were working with the attorney uh, who basically got after Tim Keller uh, in that long 14-page uh, 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 write-up. I'd like to talk uh, how that came to be, how was that tracked, and with together with Operation uh, Legend and your work at the Albuquerque Police Department, maybe also with the uh, local feds uh, that were already here on the ground, tell me how that came to pass. Well, as, as you know, that was uh, late November, I believe, when um, the woman was shot in her yeah, last year. driveway. And so we were part of the initial investigation, obviously having uh, that it was a family uh, member of two state police officers. There was the interest from state police to offer whatever help they could. So while we took the lead, they also assisted and, and were very interested. A big part of that investigation, too, was working with the district attorney to put together the pieces of it, and again, I can't talk to too much of that because the case is still active, but identifying the suspects, trying to be able to develop proof. Um, obviously, it's pretty clear now that they left, one of them left the state for a while, tracking them down uh, and all that. That was done pretty early on, and it was, you know, there may have been a few glitches here and there, and, and, and obviously it was delayed, and everybody wants, you know, if you know who the suspect is or you're suspected, everybody wants that quick arrest, but that doesn't always result in a good prosecution and people can be let go. So it takes a little longer than the public. What happened was, is again, um, the individual was, was picked up elsewhere, uh, trying to coordinate with the, the district attorney's office and the authorities in that different state that were, were slowed down things as well. But at some point, the FBI um, stepped, we got the FBI and the FBI stepped in. Um, they didn't take over the investigation. A lot of it was laid out, but they put it together and organized it. And obviously having the resources where they can cross state lines and have a different authority than a, a, a municipal officer or municipal detective, they were able to move things a lot faster. And it's still, it's still not done, um, but uh, the coordination of all those, those teams, APD, uh, state police, you know, district attorney's office, um, and obviously the FBI resulted in you know, the FBI you know, kind of more or less getting us close to closure with that case. 
One of the things that uh, has been implemented, you mentioned the district attorney, was the public safety assessment for pretrial release and detention, also called the Arnold tool, implemented, I think, in 35 to 40 different jurisdictions. And uh, was there any indication that the, that tool was used to release these people who were involved uh, in the murder of uh, Mrs. V. Hill uh, at all, much like uh, Bashir and several other uh, peep criminals who went back on the street, despite the fact that you guys were bringing them with APD, they were kicked back out? Well, the, the primary offender, I mean, there's several people have been arrested in the for different involvement, but the primary offender had previous records. Um, I don't know personally if any of those were uh, put up for a pretrial detention and he got released or what the status of any of those cases were. Uh, but this wasn't a, a first-time incident for this this particular individual. Thank you uh, for uh, uh, letting me go kind of on that uh, little bit of a tangent uh, there because it's something that I knew was an active case, but I did want to have a question because it's fresh in everybody's mind and people do want to uh, uh, speak about that. Uh, we're speaking with uh, former chief of police uh, here the Albuquerque Police Department, uh, Chief Michael Geyer. And I want to focus on more of those accomplishments since uh, it's uh, sort of been turned into, well, he resigned and now he was uh, let go and try to get an understanding of uh, what happened and Maybe find some some bright spots. So much of what we discussed negative or yesterday was kind of negative, um, and you know these are some new technologies that have been implemented in the Albuquerque Police Department, but we hardly hear about. And I think a lot of the reason uh, where we don't hear about it is because uh, I hate to be political about this, but Tim Keller and his supporters are so adamant about uh, uh, really turning the the victims into into the perpetrators and the criminals into the victims. And that is sort of that mentality that we've had here in the city of Albuquerque. Uh, you also implemented something that I think is uh, pretty cool. I've always wondered about that in license plate readers. Yeah, the automatic license plate readers, um, they, what those, they've been advanced a lot more. I mean, obviously, we, what we can do is you can put them on a string of like Central or, you know, any other busy street and, uh, Pretty much, we'll get hits on uh, stolen plates. Have, if stolen plates enter into the system, it'll be a hit. Or a wanted car that with the license plate, it'll get, it'll get a hit. And then through the real-time crime center, that hit has been able to dispatch to the officers and saying a stolen car just passed Louisiana and Montgomery going westbound. And then with the camera systems, they can look at as well and track what the car looks like, get a better description, and update it as it travels through different license plate readers. Um, you know, we'd like to have them on the freeway. Obviously, the, the Big Eye would be a great location, but I think that thing would ring like a cash register because so many cars probably passing through wow. uh, have hits on it coming from out of state even. So, you know, those anything that's in NCIC and things, you know, systems like that can be entered in those systems. And, and we also put it near the scenes of the shot spotter locations uh, along with cameras because not only do you get the activation of the shots, but you, at 2 in the morning, that may be the only car you see fleeing, and you get the plate on the car. Um, we can read it. We can uh, focus on the, maybe even the, on the drivers or the passengers and get a visual on who's in the car as well as the make and model. We maybe have, if it was just a shooting that resulted in a homicide, we develop a suspect and a lead. So between the shot spotter, between the NIBIN and the license readers, I mean, we should have a pretty good idea of where the criminals uh, are and, Working these uh, technologies in conjunction with one another, these are uh, got to be uh, pretty good with these uh, w with the way that it's working. I'd like to talk uh, for a moment about the nine one one system. I realize that, that you guys uh, don't run it, but uh, you know, so many of our listeners have a question, uh, Chief Geyer, about why you know that time has uh, tended to escalate over the years. Now we, I, we were well over ten minutes prior to you 
uh, commencing uh, your uh, duties as uh, chief of police. But we've gone uh, essentially from like 10 to uh, 12 minutes in terms of those response times. And so I'd like to kind of have a better understanding from your standpoint as chief of police, what were were the variables that you could control, can't control, and why is it like this? Well, I I think the biggest issue is is manpower. Um, Even if we get up to the limits that we were hoping for, 1,200, maybe even 1,400, um, compared to other cities, you go to an East Coast-type city, 150,000, 200,000 population, they have more officers than us. You go down a steel you know, bank from, say, uh, I-40 all the way north to Paseo, and you may drive that whole distance and not even see a police car or a police car in a stop. You don't see that in other cities. And so, um, obviously, the 911 and the response time is dependent on the locations of the officers and what calls our officers are on. And you try to get the nearest officer, first of all, and get officers to free up to back up that officer. Um, so we don't always have that. We're spread out. The officers sometimes have... Oh, I don't know. Like some nights I've heard 35 calls holding in any in the south. Wow. And so if they're on other calls, again, they can clear lower priority calls, a report call, for example, and go take the other call. Um, but it's up to the dispatch. And our system is, is we're going to, there's being upgraded as we speak, so to speak. We're going to get a new whole new radio system as well and a new CAD system that will help, you know, reduce some of that. But it's basically having an officer to go to that call. And it sometimes I've seen, I mean, I remember in the southeast driving down central go, just to go to the main, and there'd be three priority ones call, you know, go, which are alert tone calls. That means that somebody has to get on that call right away, and they'd put it out, and they'd have nobody to dispatch. And so they'd put it out, and then officers would automatically clear, including me sometimes when I was driving down central, is I'd volunteer to help on the calls because wow. those are, you know, those are important. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that it's a priority system. I mean, I, I've called 911, I've waited. I want to say 20, 25 rings on 911 at different times of the day. That's how overloaded that system is. There's a lot of calls that come in, and the dispatchers, you know, have to, call takers have to take it. It's, you know, relate to dispatchers who then interact with the officers. Um, And it's plus Albuquerque's widespread city. Uh, Our our beats and our area commands are spread out. Um, In a big city, the beats are much smaller, and uh, obviously you have high-rise living, um, you know, more of a multi-housing factors where you can get to different calls and be... Yeah, local. bigger densities. Yes, and yeah. so we, we're kind of spread out. I mean, you go some, you know, from uh, I-40 to the north border at Rio Rancho, that's a long ride, you know, to, and that's that whole B, that's that whole area command up there. So um, it's 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 the, basically the, the size of our city, the lack of staffing, um, and the volume of calls that we receive that causes that delay. Let's talk um, a moment about other upgrades and tech upgrades. Uh, I know that you're working with, as you just mentioned, other major cities, and try to get a better understanding how they uh, respond to things. But uh, you were trying to, or obtained a grant uh, through something called Crytech to obtain technical assistance to develop a platform for new technology and system to help us uh, here deal with the real-time crime center, which we were trying to implement and have been implementing for some time. Yeah, and that's what they offered us is, you know, obviously the, the they have experience with ShotSpotter, so they can give us a lot of insight of where's the best place to put it, um, how to develop policies. You know, we our first uh, intake or reasoning was let's not make it a priority call. Some people thought that, but definitely it is a priority call. And since you get in real time, it's even better that you respond in real time because it doesn't do any good if you respond to a ShotSpotter uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes later. Um, but we, we, what we got from them was some of the technology that's out there. 
And one of the things we're doing is we're integrating camera systems. Um, you know, we have the, the traffic cameras. We have businesses that are integrated. Even home homeowners have their cameras integrated. And, and the, obviously systems like the ring, ring doorbell system. We're getting that technology on a bigger, we're bringing them in. And that's a great force multiplier because we can't be everywhere but there's there's eyes everywhere. And yeah, neighborhoods uh, actually jump into the real-time crime center that way well, and, and leverage their own technology, uh, sort of like I have a weather vane here at the radio station and I contribute to Wonderground. Well, I mean, the neighbor in the neighborhoods, the biggest thing is is that we know that those cameras are there. So if there was a crime, exact, I'll give you an example. With the, you know, the, the V-Hill case is we were looking at cameras um, involving, you know, in that neighborhood and one of the cameras at a nearby apartment complex, that vehicle... Uh, that was used in trying to break into another car and actually steal another car was on that camera system. Mm-hmm. So it's if we get a you know a shooting or something in the neighborhood, and we've had this many times, is we'll go, people will follow up, check on those cameras, and then we access those cameras. We we review that video. It's not necessarily that they can hook in. The businesses can. I mean, we've got Blake's Lauderburger has us integrated. If there was a robbery inside, we could we could have. Basically, we could know what was going on and hear it without having to send officers in, and we were able to maybe safely defuse or, or deal with the situation. Uh, some of the other stores, I mean, we some stores, in, well, obviously APS, the school system, too, is integrating it, and in the airport and places like that is we want to get as many cameras out there because we can track and follow uh, the path of a, either a fleeing vehicle Oh, wow, like almost tracing it with yeah. knowing where all the cameras are. Yeah, And, with and the, do we have that type of technology here in Albuquerque to trace that? Are we well, it, that it, adept? So, well, what happens is if a call comes in, is right away those people in the real-time crime center, the operators, will focus in whoever that the operator is for that area command to that intersection, check all the cameras, um, try to focus not just on... The, if it's active or if it's passed, they'll go back in time and try to see if there was a, a so review video. Review video, and they'll so be how, a, how many people are working on the real time crime center when something is actively happening? What uh, what, what are we up against? Well, it depends on the shift. I mean, obviously they have a bridge there where you'll see um, TV type screens that show the calls holding. Um, they listen to the dispatch. Each of them is like a, a not so much a dispatcher, but they're responsible for an area command. So when a call comes in. Um, you know, say a, d- a domestic violence in a neighborhood, they'll go to that house. They'll see the history of that house. Is it somebody that they've had previous calls? Does that come? Up, does that come up uh, instantaneously? No, they have to. They have. They're really good at it. They can access several different databases. Okay. So one of the databases is the CIT, the Crisis Intervention. They'll so see you know, sort of have like the human hand stepping in and cross-referencing it. Yes, and they try to get that information to the officers within three minutes or so or less. So that when that officer walks out of his car, he knows that the next door neighbor is a known felon that's a friendly, you know, friendly with this person. So watch your back. They'll know that this person in the house is has weapons and has weapon charges or may has a warrant. And they'll know if there's like five or six other previous uh, violent domestic uh, situations involving this individual. So it gives them a uh, little bit of an uh, advantage because then they have a heads up. They're not walking into something cold. And that's part of that, that you know, real-time crime center is... To get that information, relay that out so that, again, we keep officers from, you know, rushing in and doing something where they could get hurt or accelerating the situation where the people inside could, you know, get hurt as well. And it just gives us, uh, you know, that advantage that technology and modern, you know, systems like that can help the officers be much more effective. Yeah, I would uh, say so. It's uh, nice to see those timings down to three minutes and uh, that we have a well-staffed uh, real-time crime center. Uh, how much has that improved since you came on board? 
Well, I mean, it was uh, it, we changed hands um, with directors, and um, why it, it reached a pretty good level when I was here when we first came. But I think we've we brought in some of these new technologies. Crytek again, some of the people that were our, our advisors, and they're still they still have that grant. It was delayed a little bit because of COVID. Uh, they're still going to come out and do a site visit. And this is somebody that had worked with Chicago PD and then Washington D.C. PD. I think he works in another capacity now, but he's he was still our person. Um, Milwaukee PD, I mentioned them before. That was our original person. But we were going to visit both Chicago's uh, system. They have a fantastic integrated camera system. Uh, we even got a system now where we'll be able to like adjust street lighting in a neighborhood um, or work to tr- control the traffic signals to maybe uh, have them on red for the area that somebody's coming out so they would have to stop. We have that ability. We're going to be getting very soon in some some of our smart cities technology. And so that we're going to also do a site visit out in L.A., and look at some of their systems that are more advanced than ours, systems that we're in the process of either purchasing or just in the early stages of acquiring. So, we, you know, that's that's going to grow. So a lot of it is in the, the works and it was brought here afterwards. But uh, I was really excited about it, and I am still excited because living in this city, that's going to be a great like I said, force my multiplier for the lack of officers that we have. I love uh, to hear you uh, speak like this and how much you care about the job even after and care about the city even after uh, you're gone uh, from uh, running it. And that's just, I know for our listeners out there, it's so incredibly pleasing to them to just know how conscientious uh, you are. Uh, you have uh, young kids uh, as well that uh, you're uh, tending to and you want them to grow, not to mention a, a great wife uh, who, you know, uh, please say hi to her uh, out there. There's one last thing I'd like to address before we get through, and um, I'd like to ask you back uh, uh, maybe tomorrow if you are available because we've got a heck of a lot more stuff to get into, uh, it, and it's pretty deep, but not the least of which is the uh, the brass uh, which wrote that letter, and I've been delving into it, and I think we need to discuss that, uh, I think, more in depth uh, uh, tomorrow. But one of your uh, big plans that uh, you came through, and uh, which is all your own, is something called the Metro 15. Uh, tell me how effective that was, how did the, the genesis of the idea uh, from start to finish and uh, what you think of it today and how, how well it's performed. Well, I'll be honest, that wasn't my, just my idea. It was a, an idea looking where our investigators, um, some cities pretty much advertise, and we used to, if you remember, on the newspaper, they wanted people. Yeah, Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers right, and yeah. things like that. And Well, we still do Crime Stoppers, but like the most wanted, the 10 most wanted. And so... What, what working with the district attorney's officers and their investigators, um, and again trying to deal with the violent crime is rather than just be able to pick up somebody that has a traffic warrant or you know uh, child custody support you know uh, warrant things like that, we, we went after the the people that were drivers of crimes, and so the district attorney's office, um, our real time crime center, we already had alert which was repeat offenders that were had warrants that had many many offenses and kept getting caught and being released and were still on warrants but the metro 15 was focused on the worst of the worst it was a simple concept these were the people that were involved in gun violence drugs uh aggravated assaults and repeat offenders and robberies yes and and so when they were wanted um we made them a priority and so as part of the our gun violence reduction plan is when that was tracked to an area command is that information be relayed right down to the beat level knowing that if at this address on say you know any given street uh, in the Northeast Heights, if that was in an officer's beat or the officers that worked that area, they would be able to watch that house and be aware that here's a, a pretty you know violent offender, keep an eye out for him and be ready you know to get help and get and arrest them and get him off the street because no doubt the more they're on the street, the more chances there's somebody's going to be victimized. 
No doubt about it. Uh, and uh, so it has uh, something that is con- currently in place. And you mentioned uh, Crime Stoppers. Uh, did that improve? And uh, tell me about uh, your thoughts on Crime Stoppers. Well, it, it, it has improved. The, the lady that's working there is, has really done a great job getting that information out. Uh, videos, again, that we, you know, used to be Crime Stoppers was just a still shot. Now we actually have videos of offenders that we release because um, sometimes you can see the mannerisms. But one one new concept that we just brought out, uh, myself and one of the, the former commanders, he's since retired now too, uh, was we used to do gun buys, the buybacks. And it has a very limited value. It, we do take guns off the street before somebody could steal them, which is a good good, good premise. But now we're going to try to advertise a reward for people that know of somebody that is involved in uh, either whether they're found in possession of a gun or they have a stolen gun or they're just somebody that's shooting that gun or, or just you know bragging about it or, or again, acquiring a whole bunch of guns is we'll try to be able to get uh, develop a case and arrest that person, and then we'll give a reward to the people. And in some cases, it could be up to $1,000 if it leads to the arrest of somebody, that gun and that person, and it leads to, through Nibrans or whatever other connections to a homicide or shooting with injuries. We'll be able to get people, and, and some in some parts of the town, I mean, you can talk to anybody, and they'll know who's got a gun or who's dealing or who's carrying a gun, um, and we'll give rewards to as many people as possible. We'll advertise that, and Crime Stopper's going to do that, we actually have money from city councilors to do it on billboards and posters in stores um, because the more guns we get off the street, it's one thing with the gun buyback, but if we actually get the gun and the offender or a person in that gun, we have a, now a person that we can work with to see, again, through Nibins, how what do you know about this case or this case, and then develop a network of where that gun was before. All of this stuff, I think, leads back to you know where the stats are, how well we've been performing, and I think the big question was last year to this year, and one of the embarrassing things for the Keller administration was the fact that they had to revise their stats. Help our audience uh, understand what was the reason for revising them. I know that we've attached ourselves now to a, a new stat, uh, which is the federal government and the FBI statistics. Uh, help me get a better understanding of, of what that is and why were we looking at uh, the stats uh, a different way, or why was the Keller administration politicizing and looking at them different last year than uh, we're, we're looking at them now more accurately this year? Well, there were, there were two problems. Well, first of all, the federal or FBI does the national tracking of crime stats, and the original system that's been around forever was the Uniform Crime Reports. And those were the, you know, your burglaries, murder, rape, robbery, assault, there were seven or eight primary part one crimes. And that was the statistic that matched every city. You could always compare homicides from one city to another. They've now extended to something called NIBRS, which is a different type of breakdown, and it would take a long time to explain it. But, but, but what the problem was at the beginning is it wasn't with the systems like that. Is Even the FBI, who tracks APD's uh, data, will not release data until six months from the previous year and won't release it almost until a year later. The reason is is that data is not accurate until every report that was taken during that year okay. was brought in. So if we had cases and, and what happened with us um, by jumping the gun a little bit, um, by putting out a quarterly stats, is there were still maybe 200 outstanding burglary uh, cases that were sitting in, in the system, either in a glitch in, the, in the, the, you know, the, the computer system itself or in a supervisor's desk, or worse yet, the officer hadn't turned in the report, or even worst case scenario, didn't write the report, is we didn't have accurate information because it wasn't complete. And that's why we had such inflated, great-looking numbers, but once the rest of the reports came in, those numbers reduced. And, and I think is what we're doing now is we're making sure that um, all the systems work a lot better, the officers turn the reports in, there's more accountability for that. 
The, even in the record system, there's uh, more employees there to process those reports. Uh, if you did it by hand, they would send the reports back for correction. It could take a month before it got back. Now it's all done automated and it's much quicker. So we get more, and I think with the new CAD system, it's going to be more real-time so that almost on any given day you can check and see what the status is of you know what our crime uh, percentages are for any particular of the major crimes. But that was the problem is we had antiquated system, um, delays in, in getting the reports in, and that just caused issues all, all across the board. Uh, Chief Geyer, tomorrow I want to uh, have you back uh, again, and I really want to talk about how you stepped it up over the last year in terms of uh, really just uh, investigating uh, in terms of police misconducts, uh, the internal affairs has certainly expanded. You've been doing everything you can to uh, comply with the CASA uh, agreement. I think that was big. It looks maybe like the old culture is uh, really trying to uh, kick back against that as uh, I think uh, many of these police officers are uh, sort of unhappy about uh, being looked uh, a little little bit uh, too closely. I've got some fascinating numbers here that I want to uh, share with our audience uh, tomorrow during uh, the third hour. An interesting uh, write-up uh, happened yesterday at ABQ Report. I, I want to address that with you uh, as well. And uh, you not being uh, as addressed by the what some person has called them, the Fab Five as as a team player and not really showing leadership. So I'd like for you to come back tomorrow and address that, and then we'll continue to talk about some of those accomplishments uh, that you've had from December 1st of 2017 all the way until September 30th of uh, 2020, which was just a couple of weeks ago. And I think this is an enlightening conversation, one on, in which uh, certainly uh, creates a lot of transparency for our community, while at the very same time showing how that there's been market improvement um, but it's not exactly something that they wanted to market because, uh, again, this is uh, a, a greater appeal more to a, a different element uh, here of our society. I'd be happy to come back. All right, that'll be great. So it'll be tomorrow. We'll have uh, Chief Mike Geyer back here for the uh, third day here in Nikiva. And thanks, everybody, for listening on AM 1600 KIVA 93.7 FM, the web, the app, rockoftalk.com. Stay tuned. Bill O'Reilly is next. Bill O'Reilly is next.